Hello, and welcome to the last episode of my series of podcasts about David Abbott. I've called this one Final Thoughts because it takes into account the years uh, after David retired from AMV in 1998. What he did then, he continued doing some copywriting. Obviously, he was an author of an excellent book called The Upright Piano Player. If you haven't read it, go right ahead. It's very good. But I also wanted to collect together any of the stories and final thoughts of the people I spoke to to kind of underline and find a kind of overall rounding out of this impression of David that I've tried to give you over the preceding six or seven episodes. So um, I hope you enjoy this one. I hope you've enjoyed the ones up to this. And I hope it's given you an impression of someone who is arguably, and in some of our opinions, inarguably, the greatest advertising person that the UK has ever produced. So with that said, uh, let's go into these final thoughts, starting with uh, Dave Dye, who worked with David in a professional capacity um, as David actually freelanced for him um, at, at Dave's agency in the early 2000s. They need ads that are sort of talking to businessmen about business that are like, you know, that don't aren't showing this is cool or pictures of this thing that looks like that thing. It's got to be a dialogue between one business and another saying it's an investment. You know, these things, it's a little bit more now, but there's good reasons A, B and C. Um, you know, it's got to be sort of intelligent conversation to businesses to persuade them to invest in a Volkswagen commercial vehicle rather than think was a recession I'm going to spend a thousand quid less on one of the Japanese ones so obviously so instantly you think a bit like David Abbott was good at that you know he was good at um, talking as a businessman to other businessmen about business and I was thinking that sort of thing and then obviously I spent about a week trying to think well who, who, who's like that because a he didn't work anymore um, and B, he's, he wasn't on the freelance circuit. You know, I wouldn't have thought of wouldn't think thought of um, giving him a ring. I was just trying to think of someone in that vein. It's a sort of steer, and I just couldn't. My mind was literally blank, which is terrible. There must be people, but I just couldn't think of anyone who was remotely interested in business and interested in that kind of thing. So I started writing some ads. <clears throat> Um, which I've got some. I can go to a folder and have a look at it if you want. Um, uh, yeah, so anyway, I couldn't think of anyone. So then I started writing some and I was thinking, this is ridiculous. We're running out of time. The pitch is going on. And I thought, I wonder whether he would do it. It was like a stupid idea. I, partly I was thinking, well, at least if I ask him and then when he says no, I fully expect him to say no, I can think... I can sort of move on from that and A, not think that he would be appropriate, B, just think, you know, who's left, you know, just think in a different way. It's partly to sort of rule it out as much as anything. So I phoned Peter Mead and said, you know, we're doing this VW pitch. The only person I can think of who would be good to work on it, and I explained why, was David. I said, I don't suppose he's remotely would be interested in doing some freelance i don't know even whether i described it as freelance of working on it with me so i was i sort of because i'd had heard nice things that he'd liked 
apart from the uh, Royal Academy, he liked stuff I'd done and various positive things. I thought, you never know. Okay, I don't know. Uh, anyway, he, he said, oh, you never know. I'll give him a ring. So give him a ring, call me back. And he said, yeah, here's his number. Do you want to give him a ring? He he's, says, let's have a chat about it. So I phoned him up. I explained what it was. Obviously, he used to work on Volkswagen as well. It's one of these big famous early things, went to the States, worked on Volkswagen. So there was that as well. It wasn't like it was working on, you know, some sort of processed cheese or some ropey old thing. Um, uh, anyway, so I explained it to him. I said, it kind of seems right up your street. You know, I don't know what the situation is. He, and he said, I can remember, he said, well, I'm terribly rusty. I haven't written an, an ad for years. So I said, I'm sure you'll get the hang of it soon enough. Certainly like having thoughts sitting like thinking you soon get the hang of it um and he kind of laughed and he went well but, well why don't we give it a try why don't we give it a try uh so uh so he said look come down to my office so we had this little basement office next to peter jones and um let's you know let's have a let's have a chat i was about to go down to his place one afternoon to have a chat with him about it. Just at that moment, there's, uh, I had a, the first copy of the Creative Circle and you are done with Mark Denton, which was the one that was based on the B note. Um, and it was all cartoons that we'd done it between us. And I thought, brilliant, I'll give him that because he's got a section in that that's like, you know, the Hall of Heroes and it's all about him. And it's just in, it's like there's only one of these books in London. What a nice little ice-breaking thing. Perfect thing. So I thought, oh, see, it's my, it's my copy. There's no, I'll sod it, I'll give it to him. It's a good little icebreak. So what I hadn't really uh, thought of, which I kind of can't remember, I remembered it in the cab, is that um, the, the, the section with him, at one point, Mark Denton had, had come up with this last-minute idea, which is that we write, because it's cartoons, we write a little sort of rhyming bit at the top of each page was a real pain in the arse because we'd actually done it and then we had to sort of divide the book in half and think right you come up with rhymes about you know the press category or this person or that the chairman and I got the other half and they're mindless you know they're like mm -hmm. Bino you know Billy Whiz he's you know whatever you got to come up with something that rhymes, and there's no, you know, they're hard. They're sort of no guide. You just come up with something nonsense. So I can remember, in mine, hanging out of my window because Billy Mead used to be in Newburgh Street, exactly opposite, reading Billy out six because I'd just written a load of silly things, and thought, fuck it, I'll let Billy choose because I don't, I don't know how you judge them. They're just stupid, nonsensical things, and I was whittling through them really quick because I had loads to do and we were behind. So I read all these things out and then one he sort of really laughed at and he went, yeah, that one's funny, go with that. So I thought, fuck it, go with that. And that said, uh, Abbo, he's original, but he's no Aboriginal. Which literally means, doesn't mean anything. I don't know what, I don't know what it even means. It's just got Abbo and original in it. Anyway, so I thought, oh yeah, fuck it. So obviously I hadn't really connected the dots. So uh, so I turn up at his door and his, his office is all, as you'd expect, it's all really calm, the smell of lovely coffee and some classical music playing, endless faded 
first edition copies of whatever. Um, anyway, we sit down. So I go, oh, we've got this Creative Circle book. It's just in. I thought, you know, you could have this copy. Well, oh, great, thanks. And like any creative, go straight to the back to look at where he is. <laughs> Looks up his name, goes straight to his page, and literally has a sort of convulsion when he his eyes hit it's he's avo he's original but he's that you can literally see a physical reaction when he looks at it and then just closes it and pushes it to one side so i thought oh fuck that's awkward <laughs> he's not even said anything he's not even said oh that's shit who wrote that or did say anything so that was like a really awkward start um Anyway, so I slid to one side and we carried on talking. He said, well, you know, I, I haven't really done this for a long time, but let's, let's give it a go. It'd be interesting. Let's try it. So let's chat. Uh, he says, well, well, where are you? What have you got? So I said, like, I've, I've, I've read a few and I was trying to, is that, is that, that slightly, slightly awkward thing is that whenever you work with any partner, you've got whoever it is, you can't, you've got to get that middle ground of not steamrolling everything they do, but equally not just agreeing to everything they do. It's, it's like a tricky little thing. So I was trying to sort of show what I've done, some of which I really liked, but sort of downplay it. It's like, look, there's these, but, you know, I don't know. Um, and he genuinely hadn't. I, I'm trying to think when it would have been, maybe 2009, I guess, if it was just after that recession. Uh, so I don't know what the gap would have been. But he, but he seemed genuinely not as sure as himself uh, as, he, as he would have been, um, certainly as he, as he was when I took in my Royal Academy stuff. Um, so anyway, I went through some of the, I said, look, it's kind of this area, I've got this kind of area, which, um, you know, and there were some sort of various lines about, I'm just trying to find some now. Uh, let's have a look. I said, there's, uh, there's, there's some various lines that there might be something in, and I was really trying to sort of underplay them. And he said, oh, I like that one. I'm trying to think of... Uh, uh, so I think there was one that I'd written that says, other man's maybe cheaper on paper, but not on the road. And there's a couple of others. Uh, and he said, oh, I like that one. I'll write the copy for that. <laughs> that feels awkward. How do you... How do you... What do you... you how do you deal with that? And then there's another one that he said, yeah, I'll do the copy for that one as well. It'd be a good start. So you think, oh, that's all good, you know. Uh, so then you have to try and think, well, I, I, what's my, how am I, what's my role in this? Because I can't be, I can't start creative directing him. And it's very hard to just go, well, anything you do or say or write is fine as well. So it's it was quite sort of tricky. So anyway, I went, I went away, come back about a week later, and he'd, he'd written a couple. Uh, he said, I've written a couple of those two, and I've come up with another one or another two. Um, so then uh, it's one of the most awkward things ever. Uh, and, you know, like when you see in a film when you have that crash zoom, I sort of, he said, come down and I'll read you the copy. And I had that crash zoom thing of remembering Peter Mead saying, it's weird because David reads his copy out in this sort of mid-Atlantic drawl ever since he'd been to uh, DDB in New York. That's what all the writers used to do. So I thought, oh, he's going to read his copy out and probably in an accident. <laughs> so he said, go and sit, sit here. So equally, sat side by side, which is not a good uh, position for having a conversation on a sofa. Um, 
And then he was reading out the copy that he'd <laughs> In the drawer or not? In, a, in the drawer, yeah, which was, you know, I sort of steeled myself up for that to sort of shut was, was it weird or not? It was weird, yeah, because obviously he was, he'd written it and he was talking in his sort of semi-American accent. Um, but the, the sort of the most awkward thing is, is how are you supposed to respect, you know, it's quite a long copy. It's not like a couple of headlines. You go, oh, well, I'm still not sure about that. It's like it goes on a bit. So, you know, there are some people I can think of who would be great at visually giving him feedback all the way through as like positive, which I can't really, I'm not really the sort of, I'll pop in a smile, but I'll, you know, I, it was really hard to sort of react because he also he kept looking over, you know, to sort of see how it was going. You know, he hadn't written it for a long time, so he's sort of checking in for a sort of response. And I'm thinking, if I'm like thumbs up, I'm going to look like an idiot. Because, and also, what am I saying? Yeah, you're good at writing. You know, why do, why does he need approval from me? And then equally, I can't sort of do that wavy hand. Not sure. You know, what? How are you supposed to respond? You know, if you can't be negative or positive, it was just awkward. Um, yeah. But but the, the copy was good. I'm assuming. I don't, you know, I, I, I wouldn't judge it, to be honest. You think, well, he's good at writing copy. If he thinks it's good, it's good. I wouldn't, I wasn't listening to it thinking, oh, is it any good? I was just trying to get through and not, not appear like a dick, you know, not be too, wow, that's amazing. Or mm, some patches we need to work on, you know, I was trying to just come through the other side. I wasn't thinking, is this any good? I was, I don't, you know, didn't he didn't need to show it to me it was so yeah and then he'd done a, a couple of ads um and we sort of took it from there yeah oh, so yeah. That was the start. how far did it continue there did you have to go and see him every time he wrote some copy or yeah, did so he send it over we we would do that and then he would send obviously he'd email stuff over and then um he'd come up with a he said, oh, I've got an idea that I like. Um, he said, it's not really, it's a bit off brief, but I quite like it. Um, see if I can find it. Um, oh, yeah. He, so he, he wrote one that said, our DNA, which is, and then then text, which you think, God, it's quite an unusual, not many people will be confident enough to have that as a headline. Do you know yeah. what I mean? It's quite, uh, and it was obviously uh, excellently written, as you'd expect. Um, so there's a bunch of these I'm looking at now. So it says the future will happen. Preparation starts now. 2009 isn't a year to take up gambling. And, the, and then this one that he, he'd kind of, I think he'd sent it as just an email. He said, oh, I quite like this. And it was a picture of the a transporter van. And it said, the color of the van is blue. The writer of the ad was a freelancer. Brackets cheap. We got a discount on the page cost and settled for a black and white ad instead of colour brackets, as you can see. But we won't be taking any quality out of our vehicles or letting up on our training or downsizing in our stock and spare parts with Volkswagen. And in tough times, we know where it's smart to make savings and where it's not. How about you? And you think, oh yeah, that's good. That's sort of, you know, not like any of the others, but really thoughtful, good way in. You know. um, and then in, and then he, he would send back changes to that 
every couple of hours. I've changed my mind on the picture. It should yeah. be this, shouldn't be that. It should say, at one point, he said, oh, I think it should say Volkswagen Photographers Club under the picture of the vehicle. And then he went, no, 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 that's that's too complicated. So he had loads of, which I really liked. I was going to mm. blog about it at one point. The fact that he kept chipping and fiddling away at it, try this, no, not that, as it was, take this, try that, change this word, change that word. Um, yeah, which was which was great. Um, so... Yeah, so we, I mean, the, the, the most bizarre thing happened in the pitch. Um, I mean, it sounds like a sort of made up thing, really. It's so ludicrous, which is that at the agency, I'd said to everyone, I didn't want, I didn't want anyone to tell anyone outside the agency that, we were, that David Abbott was working on it with us because it feels like the sort of thing that you would get Sarchi's doing as a little PR thing to try and influence the, you know, the sort of pitch, uh, which, you know, why would you not want to influence it? But it just felt, it felt kind of, it, it felt like we wanted him to do it because of what he could do, not because of his name. And also it would feel like rude and uh, disrespectful. You know, if there was a little story campaign that had come out. Yeah. Um, so I, I sort of spoke to her and said, look, it's really important to not say, you know, just to mention even to your friends, because it's just the sort of thing that can get out and it's going to be, it will be really embarrassing if there's something else. So anyway, so we sort of stuck to that. And then we did the pitch. And then there was the ads that he'd written the copy for, so which I can read and I don't know whether I can sort of cut it out, but... So it says, and I read the, the main brand ads that you've written. So it says, our DNA. In 1950, the first Volkswagen transporter rolled off the production line. With updates, it's been rolling ever since. We've sold over 10 million of them. We've lost count of the number of downturns, depressions, and recessions the transporter and its owners have survived. But we've never forgotten the lesson of history. You hope for good times, but you design your vehicles for bad times. You build in superlative quality and reliability. You consider the whole life costs of the vehicle, brackets, high residual values are given. You invest in backup, the best dealer network, the best training, and even tough times, you don't back off. Does it work? This is what the judges said about the transporter when they made it best medium van in the 2008 Fleet Van Awards. One van stood head and butt head and shoulders above the rest with its superb build quality, road manners and residual values. And isn't that what you need in a dicey year like 2009? A Volkswagen with a bit of form. So we read those. There's a couple of others. Do you want me to read those or not? You can always cut it out or... Uh, yeah, you might as well read them. And then... you, don't have to, you don't have to, but it is vaguely relevant to what Yes, I yeah, say. go for it. So go on then. So, the future will happen. Preparation starts now. Pre pretty soon, someone's going to say that good times are around the corner. They're right, of course, but what corner and when? Meanwhile, things are tough. The economy is lousy. Fuel costs are unpredictable. Credit lines have disappeared. Your customers are terrified. Your competitors are desperate. And now you need to buy a new van. We've got the vehicles, a range of 43 vans from small to large. We've got the deals and the dealers the parts and the expertise. We've got the specs, 
sorry, we've got the specs you need and the awards to prove it. We've got the research we'd be happy to share with you, findings that might surprise you, but how reassured customers feel when a trader drives up in a VW van. We've got all of this and it's important, of course. It is. But we've also got something else, an understanding that if you don't get through the part, this part of the journey, we won't either. You may find this makes us a rather good company to deal with right now. So there's a couple more of those. Uh, and I read them out because, you know, we're in the pitch. And I read, so I read that first one. And the head client said, oh, well, that's well written. <laughs> so you think, God, that's weird. I've never, no one's ever said, I've worked with great writers. And no one's ever said in a pitch, that's well written. Why would you say that, you know? There's no, it's sort of, so I kind of laughed, read the next one, and he went, oh, that one's well written as well. So you think, well, partly, what do you, you know, what do you, who, what does he know about writing? Why does he keep saying that's well written? I don't know what they're well written. I'll take it that they are, but. <laughs> and then I read another one, and the same bloke goes, well, that's really well written. Who wrote that? So everyone in the room, I've said, oh, we can't say. We can't say who's done these. So then I'm thinking, oh, fuck's sake, Ross. So I kind of laugh and then look at Jory, my partner, thinking, and he went, so he thinks I'm laughing because I'm being caught. And he went, was it you? So I said, it, it wasn't, no, it wasn't me. He went, well, who was it then? So why doesn't he let this go? It's so weird. He said, <laughs> I've never had this situation in any other, certainly in any other picture or anything, because I'm going to say something like it was Sid, it was Bob, it was, yeah. and then whatever. So what? So you've got, a, you've got the name of someone who's written something you don't know. What, how does that help you? Um, so Joran says, well, we'll tell him. So, and again, this, I swear, that, oh, kids, this is true. So, so I go, it was David Abbott. And one of the clients, and I swear this is true, this is like a little embellishment that feels like it's been added to the script, says David Abbott in parts because they have a David Abbott. <laughs> I mean, that is ludicrous. No, that is absolutely true. David Abbott in parts. And the main client looks at him and says, what, the David Abbott? I went, yeah. Feeling awkward, thinking this, we're not supposed to say this now. And he went, oh, right. They went, well, how does that, what, what, what happens if you win it then? Well, he work on it as well. Will he continue to work on it? So you can't say no. You can't go, no, that's it. Yeah. He's doing these and then he's fucked up. <laughs> I said, yeah, yeah. We've, we've talked about that. He went, oh, right. Okay. So the main part was really impressed. The others obviously didn't mean anything to them. They thought it was the bloke in parts. So, uh, so then I come out and think, oh, just... A, I've said he's working on it, and B, I've said he's going to continue working on it. We've not had any conversations about this. So I phoned him up and, and said, oh, it went really well. They really liked it. I said, it's just this weird thing happened um, where well, I read it out. And then he said, that was good. And then I did that. And then he said, oh, that was good. And then he said, who wrote them? So he's laughing. And, and then he, I said, it was really awkward because he said, look, will he, will he work on it if you win it? And he said, you tell them whatever you want to tell them. That's fine by me, um, which was cool. But the whole thing just, I mean, it would almost be slightly less weird if when you said David Abbott, it's like he knew or something like that, because... Well, like it is said, a weird... <laughs> I mean, because I, 
I don't know about you, but I couldn't. I I would. I wouldn't guess that they were here. I wouldn't go. I couldn't guess that they were here. It's from the the copy, which is why I read them out. I mean. The, the, whole, the whole thing's weird in that like everything you said that was weird was weird like the first that anyone goes oh that's well written in a pitch i mean in a pitch. that's well written in an ad agency usually even if it's quite well written they go oh and then to say it three times and then go who wrote them it just it's, 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 it's weird on top of maybe, weird <laughs> maybe the, uh, yeah i don't know maybe someone maybe i don't know i don't know i mean uh, also it's not like I, I would have read them out so amazingly as you could tell, I just read them, but it was the, so it was such a weird thing. He he did. I forgot to say on the day of the pitch, he'd um, text me and said, "Oh, I've just driven in uh, behind a Volkswagen commercial vehicle for the last three miles <laughs> behind one." He said, "I always used to take that as a good sign, so good luck." Um, I always look for these things, and uh, yeah, and then anyway, so. We ended up, I think we were the downs at the last two from memory. And then in the end, they went with Iris because they said, although they preferred our advertising, they offered them a more all-round uh, offering or something like that, which was- They say we've got John Webster doing the TV ads. And so- Yeah, that's- yeah. <laughs> That script's uh, good, who wrote it? Yeah. Yeah. So no, it was so. It, it is. It feels like if I was listening to it, I'd think, oh, that's been uh, made up or embellished a bit to make it more interesting. But that's hundred percent true. Even the sort of what David Abbott imparts is like the sort of silly little joke thing you write if you've got to finish up the scenario. But that's absolutely what happened. So it's really, yeah. I don't know what. I don't. Yeah, it's a weird thing. Um, maybe he's just a good judge. You know. Maybe. I mean, they do. They do read effortlessly and convinced in and funny enough on brief you know the original idea was that it would be someone who could talk to a business and make them feel reassured that it's worth spending the money i suppose you read that and you do although you know i mean the, the plan was to do more work you know he said oh, i really enjoyed that we've done a bunch of stuff and he you know and what i should say is he he started uh tentatively and not sure and by the end of it he was he was sort of you know running the show you know you should do this one and not that and lose this and you know and he was obviously not long right back into it and uh on top of everything and and it was good so so i i said you know so he wouldn't accept any money for it and he said well let's figure out what the terms are and we'll do more stuff so i said oh, that would be amazing so um and then and then we ended up not I, for the only reason because I could never find a brief. I was always sort of conscious of getting the right thing because you know yeah. you think, well, this would be good. This whiskey thing, the client can be difficult. You don't want to sort of yeah. get in work to have it, tra you know, trashed and rejected and go again and go, mm. you know, to go down that path. And then so being probably overly sensible, you know sensible or whatever i don't know or or sensitive to what was the right brief so we ended up you know he said yeah i, I enjoyed that let's do it again and we you know figure out the terms and we'll, we'll sort of do it but we ended up like it's it was very hard to find something that i thought would have been you know it's got to be can't be too small it's got to be a client that you think they're gonna they're gonna buy something good there's a bunch of criteria in that anyway i could never I was just conscious of his time really but 
yeah. it's kind of funny you're almost you're kind of painting a picture to me whether i got this right or not of i don't know he, there, there may have been some regret if he says he retired too early or whatever but um it almost feels like he wanted to get back into writing ads, but but how could you do it as David Abbott? And I guess you were one sort of small opening back into advertising that he could possibly find. But otherwise, it's like, how else do you, you're David and you go, actually, I quite like advertising. What do I do? Call up a headhunter or Liz Harold and go, oh, I quite fancy writing a few ads. Could you get me in somewhere? It's not going to happen. Yeah. So if he did have any regrets, this might be one way he could, he could sort of scratch that itch. Well, it, yeah, I mean, in retrospect, I... Well, I don't know. I mean, it, I wish I could have. Um, perhaps I shouldn't have been so precious of which was the right brief to, to, you know, talk to him next on. And also, there becomes a point where, perhaps if it was two months afterwards, perfect. If you're like a year afterwards, a bit of a gap, eighteen yeah. months, it's all good. But um, yeah, I mean, it just seems crazy in a way that I, you know, I didn't sort of do more of that. Um, he did at one point say. Perhaps you, and it, it sounds really bizarre. So perhaps you need a, a co-creative director to work with you who's from a copy background. Hint, um, hint. Did he, did he wink? Well, I, don't, I don't know. I sort of half decided <laughs> whether I sort of couldn't. Come on, think he's giving that, you all these hints. He wanted to work for you, with you, beside you, in the same office as I, you. Take over your agency. <laughs> I, I sort of couldn't. Yeah, again, I, I couldn't think that he was saying hey what about that it just seemed because he was into his own he was by that point doing his books and I don't know I couldn't work out whether he's saying you shouldn't be trying this great direction stuff on your own <laughs> stop writing life. ads Dave come on just do the art. I sort of just can't believe I mean you know that he would be saying hey what about you know I still mm. doing something but you know I don't know it, it, it half seemed like that but I don't know you know I would ask him advice on some stuff you know I did a he said, you know what you need? You need a you need a campaign that positions you, a positioning campaign like we did at Abbott Mead. He said, he said, you know, we did this ad, watch out collets. We're only whatever it was, 26 million behind you when that was like saying, watch out. Who's the biggest now? Watch out Abbott Mead, we're only 200 million behind you. Um, he said, we only did that because we wanted to be in the same. Uh, sort of headliners collets you know we wanted to say we're a bit like them you know just to align ourselves with that he said you, you should you should have that you know you should align yourself with who you think's good say so we're a bit like that but smaller so which we which we did I, so I did a I did uh, about three ads that were sort of version in a way versions of that that said uh I think it was the the ideas were something like we're much nearer to Sobo than widens. We got less, less foreign creatives than mother. Uh, can't think of what else. Something about Fallon's the Fallon one. Um, but he said he also said he said and it seems so unbelievable because they did so many ads. Um, you know when we when me and Richard were trying to do a book on it. We sort of try to gather them all in, and there was at least thirty um, Abbott Mead ads, and you know, lots for FGA and whatever before that. But he said he he'd never run a house ad that he couldn't track a piece of business to winning, which just I don't want to call him a liar, but it just seems so unlikely. But that's that's what he said. Hello. And 
yes, it's me, Ben. Um, I got to the end of putting all these episodes together and then realised that I hadn't added to any of them myself. Um, I met David several times, well, many times, actually, because I worked for him at AMV for six months and I also met him after uh, he retired. So even though I haven't spent anywhere near the amount of time uh, with him that most of the people I I spoke to have, um, I'm just going to take this opportunity at the end of this episode, towards the end of this episode, to let you know my own um, feelings and reminiscences about David. Maybe I should start with explaining a little bit about why I put the podcast together. Um, I had been listening to a podcast series whose name now escapes me that kind of went through a a kind of documentary style uh, run through the film Bonfire of the Vanities, which I thought was quite interesting. And while I was listening to it, I thought, hmm, I wonder if there's a subject in the past of advertising that hasn't really been covered that I could do the same thing for. And very quickly, the thought of um, David came up. And the more I thought about it, the more sense it made. It's funny that there hasn't been a book about David. You know, there's been books about all sorts of far less significant or interesting people. But I guess until someone steps up or until the publisher commissions it, that book won't exist. So I thought I could try the next best thing, if if it is the next best thing. Maybe that's a magazine article, I don't know. But um, I thought putting this podcast together might be at least a step in the right direction of remembering I, someone I, I have no problem with saying is the greatest advertising person Britain has ever produced and one of the greatest in the world. Um, it's funny, everywhere you, you turn in terms of talking about David, it's just one superlative after another. There's, there was little or practically no negative stuff to be said about him, which was kind of amazing for someone who lasted that long in an industry as competitive and cutthroat as advertising. I guess he just wasn't that person. Um, yeah, so to give you a bit of an impression of how I went about it, so I, I found the people to speak to. There were other people I didn't speak to who either didn't reply or didn't reply in time or we started speaking and then we lost touch. And there was a point where I decided to just draw the line and go with what I had. So that that's why you have the people you have. And um, hopefully... They, they cover enough of a wide range to give you that good impression of David that I was aiming for. And what I tended to ask them, I asked them not always the same questions, but similar, and I tended to start with asking them what they knew of David before they met David, what kind of impression they had of him. And just to give you that of, of it from my own perspective, I don't really remember when I first heard about David or remember knowing who he was or what position he had in the advertising industry. Um, I remember him having that sort of argument with Trevor Beatty on the Letters Page campaign about the FCUK campaign, but that, that might have even been later. I'm not, I'm not sure when that was. So I had this impression more of AMV as a, an agency when I worked at a, a, 
I'm sorry for everyone who was at YNR in the mid-90s, at a lesser agency. I used to go past AMV's offices on the bus because it was on Maribyrn Road and they produced such incredible work and it seemed from the outside to be so effortless because they produced so much of it. So I imagined them sort of hovering around on clouds, creating great scripts, passing them onto account people, selling them to clients and that all being very simple and easy and magical. Obviously, obviously it wasn't like that, but that's what I, I kind of thought. And then in March 1998, wonderfully enough, um, my art director Paul and I got taken on a placement at, at AMV. So we coincided with David for the final six months of his time there, which was, you know, a, a huge privilege. And I found it a fascinating time. I had bought the copy book by then. And I, I, and I knew very much that David was, you know, one of the primary practitioners of the thing I did for a living. Obviously, I knew he was the A in AMV. So he was a sort of, uh, I guess, a legend in that way. And I guess he was built up to be something beyond just a, a regular person in my mind. Again, I can't really remember that. But um, we all knew about the Economist campaign and we all knew David had created it and if you'd read any D&D annuals, you'd have seen David's name appear many, many times. So, yeah, I, I, I had an idea of who he was. And I don't know, it might say more about me than him, but I, I found it kind of a little bit scary and intimidating in his presence. Um, I think Peter Suter's touched on this a little bit in his in the interview I did with him, which was, which was uh, interesting. But I also found myself kind of compelled to speak to him I felt like I can't be this close to to this great person without having a chat in some way it felt like a wasted opportunity so sometimes I would ask him a question at breakfast at AMV there was a free breakfast in the morning if you got there in, in time and if he was around I'd you know make a comment or two and you know say something to him I'm not sure he knew really who I was um, and again in the lift same kind of thing but there was a point where I was, uh, my, my partner and I, we showed him a pile of economist ads. He chose one which didn't get made, but it was a, a an enormously, you know, exciting endorsement to have David even choose one. I can tell you it said, failing to prepare is preparing to fail. And I know someone else came up with that saying, I just thought it was right for the economist. Anyway, um, and then after that, my partner and I worked pretty much directly to him on a campaign for the Millennium Bug, which for younger people. You might not know that when um, the year 2000 was going to happen, everyone was very scared that all the computers would reset and the world would go to shit because of it. And uh, that wasn't the case, but we were kind of, there was a, a campaign to provide support for people, a national sort of government campaign, I think it was. So we worked into David and I don't remember too much about it. He He liked a campaign we did and the the one thing I do remember, though, is that um, the campaign was based around Pac-Man. We were going to kind of have Pac-Man as this sort of destructive computer force. And also because you could... Everyone knew what he sounded like as well, so he'd work on radio. And I remember um, explaining the campaign to David and showing him the work. And then thinking, because he has this sort of aura of being kind of this ageless, but like Gandalf or something, this older kind of person 
I said to him, so this campaign features Pac-Man. And then I, I followed it up a moment later with Pac-Man is this uh, this kind of computer video game character. And David interrupted me and he said, I know who Pac-Man is, <laughs> which I thought was really funny. Um, one other thing we did with him for him um, at that time, I was briefed to write some 60 second long radio ads for Prudential Insurance about different people who might um, or pensions, I guess, about different people who might need that service. So, you know, there were, say, I don't know, eight of them. And I'd write these minute long testimonials from people who maybe it's a single mom who was going to get a pension or, you know, someone thinking about retirement. And then they said, you should have one about someone who's about to retire. And I wrote one and I said to my partner, Paul, that we should get David to record it. Obviously, David's not a professional VO and I'm not sure what exactly made us think he would be the right person for the job. But he, he was and he agreed, said yes. And we were, again, very excited. Um, met him down at Angel Sound Studios and um, he did a take. And it was fine. It was perfectly good. And I think we just asked him to do another one because that seemed like the responsible thing to do. To, to get another take in there. It's kind of weird, like, trying to show how you would hold a radio session in front of one of the greatest creators of all time, who is your voiceover, so you're kind of supposed to tell them what to do. But he was very nice and very good, and uh, I have no idea where that radio ad is at the moment, which is a bit of a shame, but never mind. So um, uh, then they took a photo of the department at some point, which we all feature in that photo um, for David as a sort of leaving gift. I was at his leaving speech which he did in the Landmark Hotel. Um, I'm guessing this was probably towards when he left in October. And um, it was, a you know, an incredible speech, obviously. There was a point where he sort of choked up a little bit, um, talking about the time when he'd first arrived in New York to be kind of seconded to DDB New York for a little while. And... Um, he remembered leaving his wife and kids in the hotel or, or wherever they were staying and walking up the street. And at that point, he sort of choked up when he was giving the speech, which was it seemed very David. It was a kind of lovely, sentimental, kind of heartfelt human moment in amongst what was obviously quite a deliberately written speech. So um, I remember that as well. Um I remember also occasion. It might have been. It might have happened twice. I think it did. That we had a summer party, and again, I felt the need to speak to David. I'm not sure what I spoke to him about, but I would do this weird thing. So it happened a couple of times where I would speak to him, and then, you know, at a party, you know, it was a, you know, I don't know, fifty people maybe. Someone more important would come along and tap him on the shoulder and say, "Oh, David, you know, we need to talk about this thing or whatever." And at that moment, because I felt like I was already on borrowed time speaking to him, I'd dash off somewhere else and kind of watch from the other side of the room. But as I watched from the other side of the room, I would see David stop talking to that person and turn back to find me, but find me gone and look a little bit confused. I, I don't think he was expecting me to leave. Um, but that was, yeah, I felt a bit awkward. And so I ran off a couple of times. Um, so there were those occasions. Um, so then unless I think of another thing that was at that time. Um, I didn't really have any contact with David until he wrote his novel. This was about 2010, I suppose. 
maybe 2009, 10, something like that. And um, his novel came out around the same time that my own novel did. So um, I bought his, read his, and sent him a uh, a letter, a handwritten letter, saying how much I enjoyed his novel and um, sort of thanking very much and reintroducing myself and whatever it was. And then um, I'm pretty sure he phoned me after that. I don't think it was a letter. No, he called me. I was on placement, not on placement, I was freelancing at JWT at the time, so not far from his office, and he asked if I wanted to come around for a cup of tea. So, of course, I did want to come around for a cup of tea. So I went round to the the office that's mentioned a couple of times in these episodes that he had uh, just off uh, Sloan Square. And I went to see him and we had a cup of tea. And we talked about writing novels and advertising in general and some bits and pieces like that. So I was able to spend an hour in his company and then I went back to work and you know it was a lovely occasion then um I'm pretty sure well I guess I, he might have bought it himself he he bought my novel and sent me a handwritten letter telling me how much he enjoyed it now I am realistic enough to know that my novel is not the kind of thing David would ordinarily enjoy a great deal it's uh if any of you don't know, it's a sort of commercial thriller in the style of Michael Crichton. But whether he was just being positive because, you know, authors need that positivity or, or whatever the thing was, he very kindly told me he um, enjoyed it. And I still have that note to this day and I cherish it um, because, you know, like I said, he he is and was and whatever is... Uh, it, has this sort of thing of greatness in my mind when you look at his work it's it's it seems impossible how many times he started an incredible advertising campaign you know i think he was president of dnad back in the 70s i think he got the president's award back in so this is even before amv even happened so he he's been a massive figure in the advertising industry to me entirely positively for a very 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 long time and you know the uh, the way in which he, with Peter and Adrian, created such a wonderful agency, AMV, and you know I consider it a huge privilege to have worked there when he was there and when both of Peter and Adrian were there. So there we go. That's my own reminiscences of David. It's been a delight to speak to all those people about theirs, and um, I know uh, when I insert this into this last episode. I'm definitely not going to be the last person to speak because um, I know who that is going to be. But I hope you've enjoyed the whole thing, whether this last few minutes of listening to me or the the, the, the whole piece altogether. Um, if I can contribute a little bit to David's longevity in all your minds, then, um, then that's the job done. And I thank you for taking the time to to listen to all this. Next, we hear from John Kelly, who was a senior creative at AMV at various points, but through most of the 80s and into the 90s. After he, after he retired, because, um, uh, I mean, he, I can't remember what year he left now. He, was, he, he left was, in 98, because... Uh, oh, that's right. Yeah, because yeah. yeah, he, was, he was 60, wasn't he? Because he was born in 38. Yeah, yeah I mean, I'd left in 93. So, um, I'd, again, I'd see him on the street... Um, because I, um, 
again, I lived in Marylebone for a while, so um, and his agencies have always seemed to have been centered around the Marylebone area, and um, so we used to we used to pass on the street. Um, again, because I didn't really socialize with him um, out of out of office hours, that 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 didn't happen. But he he used to um, he used to have this lunch club called the Usual Suspects. Mm. I did. But have you heard of this? Well, some, someone mentioned it. It may have been Brian Byfield who mentioned it, actually. Yeah, yeah. Where there were there was a certain a number of people that became really quite close. He's kind of in a circle. John Horton, Richard Foster, Ron Brown, um, Mark Antonio, I think, was one of them. Stuart Baker was another one. And he organised these lunches, which I, which I still think in his, his exit contract, he he persuaded AMV to pay for, but he would he, they would meet uh, once a month at um, the Hellenic, a sort of Greek restaurant in um, in Marylebone High Street, and he would host um, a, a lunch for the um, you know his old colleagues. So I did get invited to one actually. I mean, I say I wasn't part of that coterie because I I long gone by then, but um, uh, I got invited to um, to uh, um, a Christmas one, um, which was brilliant. Actually, I, I think actually. That was probably the last time I saw him, actually, in the flesh. Um, but um, and it was great to see him and, and great to see um, everybody else. But but he kept that up, um, uh, well, obviously until you know until um, he passed away, actually. But uh, he was still doing that. The, the people were still going every month to that. Um, but as I say, apart from passing on the street or whatever, I d- didn't really have much um, uh, social contact with him after that. I was very surprised when he retired. Actually, I must say, I didn't expect that. <laughs> I, don't, I, I don't know what what the background was, or whether you'd even know that. Maybe maybe you'd have got a better better insight to me than me because you were you were around, I guess, just after that time. But I don't know what prompted him to um, to want to retire. I, I know he was obviously interested in writing his books, but um, it was a very a very big big surprise to me that um, that he decided to retire at that time because you know he was such a worker he was such a doer he, he loved you know he loved writing he loved that advertising I imagine it had got very very big by then as well um, and probably you know um, he, he, he he had forged very very close relationships with you know with the Sainsburys and the Volvos and the and the economists and people like that um, and um, I guess you know other other clients came in who perhaps you know weren't as um, weren't as reverent. Maybe I don't know. Now we hear from Peter Mead, the M of AMV. So I I still miss him. You know I miss him enormously because and and just before he died, uh, I sent him um, a copy of the manuscript of my book. And he wrote back, um, he said, thank you very much for sending me the book. I loved it. I thought it was well written and fun. Um, And I hope it persuades other people to uh, do something and allow them to enjoy themselves as much as we did. Love David. And he died 10 days later from a heart attack. so, and I miss him now because we'd be talking two or three times a week about Ukraine or Manchester City or Ben Stokes. Um, and, he, and he had, I mean, he, I think he had unique, uh, but, you know, he, he, was, he had all the sort of 
gravitas and English aristocracy of of a David Ogilvy. Um, all the the ability to disrupt of an Ed McCabe um, uh, and and people, you know, forever said he couldn't do ads on telly. Well, that's not true. I mean, if you look at the stuff he did for BT, one of my favourite ads of all time is still Bob Hoskins staring into the camera for 30 seconds. You remember and at the end saying, uncomfortable, isn't it? Uh, and that was only 30 seconds. Imagine what it was like if it's hours, days, months, years, and you haven't spoken to someone. Pick up the phone, it's good to talk. You know, just wonderfully simple stuff. Um, and we won't see his like again, I don't think. And now we hear from Brian Byfield, who was David's art director in the late 60s and early 70s and remained a close friend of his until his passing in 2014. David was a an amazing guy really I mean amazing like years later when I'd left and was going through some marital problems I asked him if he could let me have some money to tide me over to I sold a house <laughs> somewhere in France or whatever it was and he when we met for lunch he, he just came in and I, I'd asked him for something like I don't know 20,000 or something this is quite a long time ago and he just at the end of the lunch I said oh I'll get lunch he said no 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 and then he he paid for lunch and then he just passed me an envelope and said uh, oh that's for you don't open it now and off he went and he was always in a rush so he was off anyway I sat in this restaurant drinking my coffee and I opened the envelope and it just well, there was a check for 50,000 <laughs> and it said wow. uh, don't worry about it any time pay, pay it back any time no interest much love David <laughs> which is quite amazing really funnily enough when I retired from directing um, uh, we did some freelance work together as writer and art director again <laughs> It was just, it would, I think we just like working together, basically. And, and sometimes, like, as you know, a lot of these projects one does, there may not be any successful ending or you may not make money out of it, but that isn't the point. The point is the work. Yeah. And that's the most important thing, really, if you enjoy the work. That's what I like. <laughs> About 2010, 11, 12, I don't know, around that time, 2014, um, we just did some things, um, worked on some projects. Some didn't come, some did. And then, of course, when I won't go into all the details, because sometimes when we presented it to people who were part of it, they they seemed reluctant to take our work on. I don't know why, even though they commissioned us to do it. There were a lot of egos about it, and people disagreeing about who should do what so David swiftly said uh, to Elwood you know forget that we're off <laughs> I think he was very pissed off <laughs> no he obviously didn't enjoy that but it was just one of those things where he realized they were it was I won't go into the details um, but it wasn't for a famous brand like Volkswagen I think we just did some work for an agency that David was involved in 
Right. And um, it it was very quickly obvious that a few of the people at the agency at the top wanted David and I to do it, and a few of the people at the top didn't. Right. <laughs> so it didn't matter, and no one was right, and no one was wrong, and I did. Frankly, I didn't give it possibility you know it didn't matter to me but i think david thought you know what the hell are we doing here? you know what am i doing you know so it was swiftly aborted <laughs> so we didn't worry about it and it's not the first i mean having work turned down is not the first time in my life <laughs> it didn't really matter to me you know who cares <laughs> Yeah, he could get quite sort of a high and mighty about that sort of thing. And understandably, really, because, yeah. you know, if they didn't want him to get involved, don't ask him. So yes. That he felt it was a waste of his time. But I was just there. And I didn't really mind one way or the other. We, in fact, were going to start, which, in fact, I've continued with, but nobody knew about it. But I wrote a song. You know, when I retired, I started because I'd always been interested in music, playing guitar, and goodness what, um, as all art directors did. I started having piano lessons and composition lessons and uh, theory of music, God knows what. So I did that because David wanted to do a musical. Anyway, I carried on and did it. I've just finished doing a musical, which hasn't been sold yet, but I've written a lot of the music. And one of the songs from the musical I wrote is uh, was almost for David, really. Um, but he never, ever got to hear it, um, which was a bit sad. I was writing it at that time, and it, I'd finished it about a month later. And it, it was called Nighthawks, after the Edward Hopper painting, right. which he particularly liked. And... Um, I'll let you hear it sometimes. It's a nice sort of bluesy piano piece. from Adrian Vickers, the V in AMV. Indisputable, but for me, what will survive of him is his love of living and his laughter. I will continue to miss him incurably until I die. <laughs> 